uh, good to see everyone here in our Loveland Auditorium and Fort Collins. Hello to you. We know you're having a great time with baptism this morning also. And everyone who's watching us online, we're so glad that you're with us for this very final weekend in the 40 days of prayer journey. It's been small groups. It's been devotions. It's been these weekend messages. This weekend, we are ending the series with a message on the theme of praying for healing and restoration. And uh, I had a hard time choosing an opening story for this message. I knew I wanted to open with a story because I have stories of healing in my own life, and they are the most precious stories of my life. Uh, I know my own heart has been healed. I've received emotional healing several times in my life. I have a, a child who was healed of a serious illness. A friend of mine uh, experienced serious abuse, and I watched her walk through emotional healing and a miracle done in the court system on her behalf. And then there's my brother-in-law, Marty, that my children call Uncle Marty. And I choose to tell Marty's story this morning because it became a, a journey of healing prayer for our whole family. Uh, Marty was cured of stage four lymphoma. He's been 14 years cancer-free. Yeah. And the story began in 2004. Uh, our family was having a Christmas birthday dinner at Red Lobster. Actually, it's a, a, a my mother-in-law's birthday is around Christmas time. So we're all there, and Marty mentions that his jaw feels tight, and it feels swollen, and within a couple of days, he told us all he had a tumor, and within a couple more days, we knew that it was serious cancer. And uh, even though Marty's body is healthy today, it's very hard to talk about because cancer is so hard. The, the physical journey that he went through was serious and such a steep climb, but what I remember most, um, because the cancer was not mine, what I remember most was our prayer journey, and I remember two things specifically about that prayer journey. I remember uh, Grandma Annie, Marty's mother, and her prayer group. They gathered every week to pray aloud for his healing. They prayed the rosary for Marty, and that prayer group didn't start with Marty's sickness. It had started years before. This group of people have been doing this for years. I still give them names. And they pray that way. And then the other thing I remember is a yellow post-it note on our bathroom mirror. And on that note, written in eight-year-old handwriting were the words, Ask God to heal Uncle Marty. And the note was there for years after the healing was accomplished. And it must have found its way into the trash at one time or another. It's not still there. And if it did go to the trash instead of a, a revered scrapbook file where it should end up in a scrapbook someday, that's okay. It can be in the trash because written on that post-it note are the words of eternal life. And they are words that mean the world to me. I'll never forget the outcome of having prayed them daily. His healing was quite a lesson for our family. And I know that we all need healing. We need healing. You may need healing in your body. You may need it in your mind, your relationships. Our nation needs healing. We are living in some pretty weird times. The economy is humming along and we are enjoying material prosperity. And yet, we are in moral poverty. Every week there is a story of a mass shooting, a sex abuse scandal, a racist speech. 
and the opioid epidemic is a symbol to all of us. We need healing. We are a nation in pain. We all need it. And I've been thinking about this, so I felt led to end the series on this topic. And yes, we are talking about physical healing also today. Make no mistake, God cares about your body and the loved, your loved one's bodies. Health is perhaps the greatest natural gift that we have from God. And when it's fractured, it's one of the most painful and scary experiences in life. And God cares. And the pathway to healing is always prayer. So we're going to start the lesson. There are notes in your program if you want to take notes, message notes in the program. If uh, you'd like to dial it up on YouTube, that uh, I'm sorry, version. that's an app. And our Crossroads notes are always on version now where you can take notes on your mobile phone. But the story, the lesson in prayer begins really 3,000 years ago with a lesson that God gave to Solomon, the king of Israel, It's a very clear lesson on how to pray for healing and restoration, and it's really written out like a promise. Granted, it's a very old promise in the history books of Israel. It's old. It's written to a different culture. It's from thousands of years ago. But as the song we sing says, the promise still stands. And I believe that this is a promise for people for all time. It's well known to church people who bring it out uh, at National Day of Prayer and use this pattern. I can tell by looking at most of you, you're not churchy. So we'll take it one step at a time. We'll walk through this passage. We'll modernize this for any situation of healing prayer. The promise still stands. It's in 2 Chronicles 7.14. says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. I see four principles in here for healing prayer, and we're going to take them in order. The first principle is the principle of connection. Connection. And it's really about the family connection. You'll note that God says, if my people who are called by my name, it's the family of God. What do you mean when you call a group of people, my fa- your, uh, when you call a group, my people? You mean, hey, you're like family. We're on mission together. We're in this together. And that's what this verse is saying. It's for the family on mission. The relationship of the praying person is to God is like family. And there's also this common calling. And the calling is not inspired by the group as it is in our earthly groups of, hey, you're my people. It's inspired by God, the creator of every person in the group. And Jesus had something to say about who, just who is in God's family. He took, he took a teaching moment to give a lesson on this. Uh, and as Jesus always would do, he, he's never closing the circles in to exclude people. He's always helping us understand that the circle is bigger than we think it is. So he's, he's, teaching a group of people, and someone breaks in and says, hey, Jesus, your family wants to talk to you. They're, they're over there. They want to talk to you. And Jesus takes that teaching moment and says, who is my family? And then he points out, everyone here is my family. Everyone who wants to follow the ways of my father and do the will of my father in heaven, you're my people. We're all 
family. And he wasn't saying that the nuclear family wasn't his family. He's just saying it's much more than that. And that's how God sees it. And so the question for us is, do we have that kind of connection to our father God, like family and to God's people? And the gospels are full of the invitation of Jesus saying, open up your heart. You've been invited and welcomed in. Will you receive it? And it's harder for some of us to have this family connection. Some of us are more closed and skeptical. Some of us are open-hearted from birth. And we just say, I love faith, bring it on. But one of the main tasks in life is to let go of our separateness and our independence and to learn to live connected to the God who created us and loves us. And this is the God who gives us spiritual life and power and energy. And God has called everyone. The Bible is clear. We decide if we want to live in that place of chosenness. It's a very special place. When I was just out of college, I I taught at a group home, a live-in home, with a school as a part of it, for students, middle school and high school, who could not be placed in the foster system. They had been removed from their homes, and they couldn't go to ordinary public school. They needed a different kind of education different daily care, and all of that. And I met a girl named Samantha in the school. She was in the eighth grade. And uh, Dave and I at the time were leading the middle school youth group at our church. Yes, that was my first ministry job, leading middle school youth group. And we got permission to take Samantha to youth group. And she began to come. And I didn't teach at the school much longer than that, but I knew Samantha for a long time, because she continued to attend our church. And I'll never forget one time when she told me, right before her graduation, she said, I don't know how much I'm looking forward to graduation, because if I'm not adopted, before I'm 18, I'll never have a family. I remember thinking, wondering if if I should adopt her. That really struck me. And then a few weeks after graduation, she comes running up to me and she said, Katie, I have a family. I have parents and brothers and sisters. A family has wanted to adopt me and I've said yes. And I've moved in with these people. She was a legal adult, but she let herself be chosen. And I think that's what it's like to be adopted by God. God chooses us. We decide if we'll live in that special place of chosenness. 2 Peter 1.10 says, be eager to confirm your call and election. Be eager to take hold of it. Be eager to allow it. And this is the attitude that we want to take when we go to God in prayer. I'm eager. It's a scrappy attitude. I've been chosen and elected to this place in the family of God. And that's the basis on which I make my request. That's the first principle of healing prayer is connectedness, connection. The second one is humility. Humility. The text says, if my people will humble themselves. And we wonder, what does that mean? What's God going to ask me to do? When's the shoe going to drop? So maybe we could have a little bit of fun with this idea of humility. I like to talk about what humility is not. First, what humility is not. You know, humility is not saying that we're humbled when we're really receiving a great honor. Do you know what I mean? We're holding the shining trophy in our hand and we say, I'm so humbled to have received this honor in front of these thousands of people on television. No, you're not. You're honored. (laughs) 
Honored is a different thing. Humbled is something else. I'm humbled to receive this Super Bowl trophy, to have won the most important game of the year. No, 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 you're not. Humbled is losing the Super Bowl. Humbled is the Broncos losing the Super Bowl 55 to 10. 42 to 10. 43 to 8. Now we're talking humbled. I lost. Or I'm humbled to receive this Grammy tonight. No, no, you're not. You're honored to have been picked above all of these incredibly talented people as the most incredibly talented and appreciated. Humbled. Humbled is when Adele, two Grammy performances in a row, couldn't place her voice in the key, in the right key. She couldn't find it. She couldn't hear it. Had to stop the song in tears. Humbling. Or Taylor Swift after a Grammy performance, a great honor to, you know, sing a duet with a, with a great, great performer, her idol, and then to be criticized that she shouldn't have even been doing it because she can't sing on key. Oh, ouch, that's humbling. Public praise is not humbling. Public criticism, now we're getting a little bit closer. You know, Brene Brown, the best-selling author, now her entree into public life was having a TED Talk that went viral when she was, you know, like an ordinary professor. And the criticisms that poured in, criticizing her for what she looked like, what she was wearing, her research topic. Nobody cares about vulnerability. Why are you talking about that? We don't want to hear your stories. No one cares. It's humbling to lose or fail or to be criticized or mocked. It's humbling. Humbling to get fired. But that's not humility. Humility is something that we do to ourselves. It's not something that's done to us. It's a learned skill. It's a character quality. God wants us to have it when we go to God in prayer. And by the way, don't pray for humility. We don't need to do that. We have humbling experiences all the time, but we can ask God to help us show up in life with big, whole, open hearts and act like humble people. We can ask God for that kind of strength. I've got this list of 12 ways to practice humility, one for every month of the year, and I want to share it with you. And the point is not to spend much time here or even that you would need to write all these down. I want us to get an idea of of the character of this list, okay? So we're just going to run through it quickly. The tech team is going to put these up on the screen one by one, 12 ways to practice humility. Number one, admit mistakes. It's actually so easy, a child can do it every day, all day long. We just don't do it, okay? Number two, forgive quickly. That's harder. That takes a lot of grown-up experience, and it happens over a lifetime. But we can start by just forgiving things like spilled milk. Number three, absorb negativity. This is a little bit harder. This is a social one. Picture yourself in a social situation. People are bringing the negativity. They're bringing the complaints. There's a lot of anxiety in the room. The humble person is the one who absorbs all that, humbly, takes on that role instead of adding to it. Number three, serve others. We all know what that means. Number four, I'm sorry, five, show respect. Oh, it's easy to respect respectable people. That's really easy. We all know we should do that. What's really hard, especially in our culture right now where there's so much disrespect is to respect someone who doesn't deserve the respect, but that's the way the family of God acts. 
We show respect. We respect people at all times. Number six, clean up. That one's easy. Humble people clean up their own messes. They also are seen cleaning up other people's messes. Height of arrogance to not clean up after yourself and expect someone else to do it. Number seven, admit weaknesses. This is a little different than admit mistakes. Admit weaknesses, uh, more humbling. You have to find another person, maybe one or two people in your life you trust. If you have to, you pay a therapist and you tell them what's really a flaw what's really a wound in your life, what really you don't like about yourself, and neither does really anybody around you. That's admitting weaknesses. Number eight, speak well of others. Simply put, no put-downs. No put-downs ever. Number nine, pray for enemies. We can all do this. No matter who we're praying for, I just pray, pray for the same thing you want for yourself. Pray for the health of this person's children. Pray for their faith life. Pray for them to experience peace and to grow spiritually. Number 10, don't judge. Ooh, hard to to do because it's hardwired into us. It's one of the, the most regular things we do. And number 11, put down the armor. This just means don't be defensive, but show up with your whole real heart and be a genuine person. And number 12, is bring the joy. I'm going to start with that one in December because it's Christmas, and bring the joy just means let's not rely on those few humble people who who work really hard to be joyful and positive in all the moments of our life, and the rest of us just kind of ride the waves of their joy. A humble person will bring the joy because it's needed. 12 ways to practice humility. Now, why would anyone want to live like that? I asked that question first, and then in just a moment's notice, I I realize that as much as I want what I want, and I want to be right, and I want to be served, what I want more is to be that person who's skilled at those things. Humility is the highest form of genuine living. And it's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less frequently. Humility is being like God and modeling it like a servant. For others, And I can always tell when I'm preoccupied thinking about myself too much or thinking critical thoughts, you know what happens to me? I hurt myself. I get hurt. I fall down the stairs carrying a cup of coffee. I slip into this weird kind of absent-mindedness. I'll cut my finger chopping vegetables. Last week, I slipped on the ice outside exercising. Both feet went flying up in the air, landed flat on my back, bounced my head on the sidewalk, knocked me right back from the edge of reason. I was thinking about myself and my problems. And it was a a reminder that humility is a hard, hard calling. Why learn it? It's one of the principles of healing prayer if my people will humble themselves. Here's the third principle. The third one is courage. Courage. And this is where we're going to talk about the kind of courage it takes to pray. The word there is my people pray. And for most of us, asking God for healing or or others to pray for us is risky. We're not very used to doing it. It takes some courage. But once we exercise that courage, then we become confident. And that's where we want to be. Look at Hebrews 4.16. It says, 
So come boldly to the throne of God and stay there to receive his mercy and to find grace to help us in our times of need. Now I'll humble myself and admit to you a very silly picture that comes into my mind every time I read or think about this verse. And that picture is the Wizard of Oz. The great and terrible Oz on the crazy throne that's shaking and making noise. And the silly characters that are pushing each other up in front of the throne and then running back and pushing each other. No, you go first. You ask. You ask. And I do think that sometimes, if we're honest, we are a little bit like the characters in The Wizard of Oz. There was a cowardly lion, and there was a tin man without a heart, and then there was the scarecrow. If I only had a brain. When it comes to bold prayer and the courage it's going to take, I think some of us are scaredy cats. Some of us are procrastinators. And some of us are just unbelievers. Unbelievers. We're just not quite sure anything would really happen or this thing is even real. I'd put myself in the procrastinator category. Um, Just don't get around to it. I don't know what's wrong with me. Sometimes I'll have this, this problem. I know what I need, what needs to be restored. Something in our society or an, a circumstance I'm in or in my own life, I know it needs to be restored. And the question is, when that happens to you, are you asking God for help? Now, every time I break through and do this, I realize how rarely I do it because the experience is stunning. I speak the words, I take on the task, and then I just feel the logjam break free in the river of my life and the water begin to flow. It's, it's actually like a spiritual feeling. And yet I still hesitate. And I think that's because healing and prayer happen in the spiritual realm. And so naturally there's some unbelief or hesitation in us. We're talking about things here that are unseen. We're, ta- we're not talking about the realm of nature, this realm that, that we know fairly well, the things we know. We're talking about super nature, A spiritual dimension of life that is just as real as the material world, except we have less expertise in this realm. And so we have to be prompted. We have to learn it. Jesus was talking to his disciples at length before he left this earth, trying to urge them to pray for what they need. He said, until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Until now, you've not been doing this. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be complete. He's saying, rise above your nature, friends, and ask God. Whatever you've got going on in your life, rise above your nature, which says, well, I don't know. I don't know what good it'll do to pray, or I don't deserve God's help, or I'm scared of God, so I shouldn't ask. Just remember Jesus's words. Ask, and you, will be, and you will receive. And Jesus says, ask in my name. And that means to ask in alignment with the family values and the reputation of God. God's ways. God the Father. So we ask ourselves, what does God stand for? What does Jesus stand for in this world? That's Jesus's reputation. What does Jesus stand for? Stands for love, loving people, 
truth, light in the darkness, God's way that's been revealed to us. That's what Jesus stands for. That's Jesus' name and reputation. And so Jesus was just coaching his disciples. He's coaching us. He's saying, I am going to another realm. I'm not going to be right by your side and you're going to have trouble. Here's what you do. You name that trouble and you ask for restoration in my name. I've taught you what it looks like. Now you do it. And that restoration, there's a promise there. You'll receive and your joy will be made complete. And yet we all know we don't get to choose the form that the restoration will take. Sometimes it's according to our vision. Sometimes it's a version of God's goodness that I had not envisioned. I've got a story about that. When my daughter Sarah was teaching in Hong Kong, she suddenly got very ill, came on fast. We had no idea what was wrong. We found ourselves one evening in the middle of the night, talking with her and praying with her on Skype. We could see her asking God to restore her, praying that she wouldn't have to go to the hospital. I'm praying inside. I don't want to go to Hong Kong over this matter. So we're praying for a resolution to this problem. Well, she did go to the hospital within about 15 minutes of that prayer in an ambulance. And I did go to Hong Kong. So I asked for one thing, but God instead took me on quite a journey that started that day. And that brings me to another element of courage in healing prayer. We're still talking about courage. You have to have the courage to ask for people's help because you don't want to try to do this alone. We do this together. Look at James 5, verses 14 and 15. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick. And the Lord will raise them up, and anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Verse teaches to reach out. We've got to reach out to other people. And this is quite risky and takes courage. You can go back to the Hong Kong story. Um, I knew that I didn't want to go there alone. I figured out in the middle of the night that night that I was going to have to go. I was looking at airline tickets. I called Dave into the room and I said I think we need to figure out who's who's going I know I'm going I have to go is it okay if I go by myself we don't want to leave the girls our other three daughters at home with both parents out of the country flying around the world worried sick about their sister so Dave said I'm gonna I'm gonna ask Uncle Marty if um, he might be able to go with one of us so he calls Uncle Marty. He comes back downstairs five minutes later. He said, Marty's passport is on his desk, and he's going to pack his bag. If it comes to that, Marty will go with you. So we proceeded with the plans. We woke our other daughters first thing in the morning. We told them what had happened. We said, we have got to go. Um, how do you feel? We want one parent to stay back with you. And they, they all immediately responded. They said, if, if that was me... Mom and dad, I would want both of you there. If I was sick in the hospital, I have got to see both my parents. I can't imagine one of you not going. So we made the decision that the two of us would go. So when I landed in Hong Kong, I wasn't alone. Uh, Dave was with me 
in spirit, Marty was with me. I knew he had been willing. And then I also had this text message from a colleague that said, we are praying for you. My wife and I are praying for you together out loud, first thing in the morning, before we go to bed and at every meal. And that was my, my togetherness. That, 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 these people became my elders, my call the elders of the church. Now, Sarah, Sarah recovered, by the way, and she is healthy today. But what I want to talk about now is the elders in this verse and just say they are, they are your connected, humble, courageous people. They are the people that you can ask to pray for you, to be with you. And I would say our whole prayer team here at Crossroads are your elders. Our staff are your elders. Linda Turkovich, who, who works alongside me with Karen Support Ministries, she's our coordinator of all of that. She is your elder. Everyone wearing a lanyard in our atrium every weekend is an elder of the church. They could be relied on to walk up to them and say, I need help. Our facility director, Glenn Gilbert, his wife, Sarah, they're elders in our church. They would pray for you. Every security person with a a yellow bar on their name tag, they're our elders. You can be an elder if you're willing to step into the struggle with a person who needs prayer. The point is to ask. And Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in, your, in my name, I'm there. Ask for what you need and you will receive. And it takes courage, but it's big. It's big to have the courage to ask. And this is the final thing I want to say about courage. And it takes courage to do this. You have to keep on. You have to keep on asking. We can't just pray once and then say, I forget it. I feel like a fool for even asking. No, you keep asking until God restores you or takes or, or releases you from the responsibility of the prayer. Most of the time, healing and restoration are a process. It's not one shining moment. And sometimes it takes years. Sometimes it takes decades. And so we have to honor the struggle. It's almost like an act of worship. There's strong commitment in it. I remember uh, learning from a Marine once that the military had a saying for this, embrace the suck. Embrace the suck. I also hear younger people say these days, it sucks to suck. This is different. Yes, it does suck to suck. Embrace the suck, that's different. And a phrase you could think of for that is honor the struggle. I was meditating on this when I first heard about this. I thought, ooh, that applies to the spiritual life. And I wrote something in my journal on that day under the heading of honor the struggle. And we have it for the screen, I think. Honor the struggle. Honor the struggle. This is what I wrote. When you have the opportunity to walk with God through a struggle, you don't complain about the effort involved. View the struggle as a necessary, important, and positive part of your journey so that you can find true peace and personal power. Don't bemoan the inevitable hardships of being a companion of Jesus. Have reverence for the challenge. And that's what I mean by the courage to keep on asking. Prayer, it takes a lot of courage. And now we come to the final ascent in this lesson, and it's a short one. It's like the rock scramble, 
at the very end of a hike where it's just hand over foot for a few steps and then you're at the summit? That's what this one is, short. Number four, wholeheartedness is the final principle here of healing prayer. Wholeheartedness. If my people will seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. And the best way I know to explain that in simple terms is it's seek God, not a miracle. Seek God, not a miracle. We still ask for what we need, but what we're really seeking is not the miracle. We are seeking the very face of God. Wickedness in this passage right here and uh, wicked ways or wickedness throughout the Old Testament always means turning your back on God or forgetting God. That's who the wicked are considered to be. Forgetting God, turning your back on God. That's wickedness. And then to turn throughout the Old Testament means to return, to come back, to turn around. It's carried forward into the New Testament as the word repent, which just means to turn your mind or change your mind and start seeking God. And you don't just turn away from the bad stuff to seek God, your mistakes, immoral behavior, character flaws, although we turn from those things as well. Important thing is to turn to God. You seek the healing you need and more. You seek God with your whole heart. And the truth is we are not wholehearted. Our hearts are divided. One part of my heart wants the spiritual life and the other part of me wants control. Goes a step further than that. The part of me that wants control is also the part that wants God to be the great policeman in the sky to keep us all under control, except for me maybe. And thus my prayer request can be invalid or, or not trustworthy if I'm not wholehearted. But when I seek God with my whole heart, it means I'm in touch with both the pain of the world and the love of God. And I am prepared to pray with a right heart and appropriate opinions, which are always, by the way, on the side of love, not on the side of control. So wholeheartedness is a foundational principle of praying for healing and restoration. And it is also what we become when we pray, wholehearted. The very act of prayer becomes a means of healing in your own emotional life. And so once again, God's ways prove to be higher than our ways. And again and again, we pray because something is bothering us. And again and again, God uses the very experience of prayer to grow us up and transform our lives. The promise still stands. God is faithful. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, and seek my face, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. And your land... Your land is simply the territory of your life. It is your family. It is your home and yard. It's your nation. It's your church. It's your school. It's yourself. And there are problems in your land. 
There's pain in your land. So think to yourself, what is on your mind today? What is that? Which thing is bothering you the most right now? Do you have it in mind? Well, friends, there is hope for healing, and there's a way to move forward. It's called a prayer journey, and it will require something of you. It will require connection, humility, courage, and your whole heart. God heals. The question is, will we walk the path? Let's bow our heads and let's pray together. And I have a personal question for us. And that's, would you like to start today? Would you like to begin a journey of prayer for healing and restoration? If that's you, will you just say with me, thank you, God, that I'm not alone. I'm thankful to be a chosen child of God. And God, I need your help. The problem I have in mind is way beyond me. So today I humble myself and ask for your help and guidance. I'm willing to ask people to pray with me. I'm willing to stay in this prayer season with you for a long time, if that's what it takes. And I'm willing to change and grow as part of this process. And I thank you for your promises to me. To hear my prayer. To show me your mercy. And to heal my land. This situation that's on my mind right now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, nothing um, is more powerful when it comes to healing prayer than taking that step of asking some other people to pray with us. And we have that opportunity today. At the end of our service, we have prayer team members here at the front of the auditorium. And you could come up uh, to anyone who is up here. Just ask that you tell them your name. And you tell them straight up what you're asking for. And uh, they will pray with you. And if you want them to anoint you with oil, they have some. And it's just a symbol of the Holy Spirit of God. They would touch your head with that. And it's a symbol of God's healing power. And then we have another opportunity for all of us. We saw these tremendous baptisms happen over here this morning. And if you've been baptized, you have the opportunity to remember your baptism. It's a pretty powerful thing to do. As John said in the opening, it, it, um, it's a symbol of God's life in us and God renewing our lives and restoring our lives. So you could come forward to one of these basins up here. There are three, aisle, aisle, and right here in the middle. During this next song of worship, I just invite you to come and touch that water and touch your face and just remember that you're a chosen child of God. And then if you've never been baptized before, and you would like to be baptized, we have Dennis and Kay, pastors Kay and Dennis are here. They're ready to baptize you. The team is, so you could also do that. But we're going to stand together. Would you stand? We're going to worship and sing.